Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Well, good morning. It's not raining. The sun is shining. Praise God. Somebody made the comment. A lot of people were cutting grass Saturday. It was the first day that we've had to, where it wasn't raining. <clears throat> well, as Kevin reminded us, today is Communion Sunday, and we have been going through the Psalms together on Communion Sundays to learn. The Psalms teach us how to praise God. The Psalms are God's tunes, if you will, or God's songbook that he has given to his people. And we can sing these praises to him forever after. And so on this particular Sunday, we examine a psalm and then we get to practice what we've learned and have our time of praise after the message. And then we come together as a church family and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And then we celebrate even more of a meal with our fellowship meal after that. The Psalms, I think you have found, are an absolutely fascinating book. Um, Everybody can find themselves in the Psalms because they they come from they come at life from so many different angles. So we have some Psalms where the psalmist writes about how filled with love he is. We have some Psalms that talk about how depressed he is or they are, how despairing they are. We have Psalms that are um, vindictive. Get them, Lord. So there's like no matter what mood we're in. We can find a psalm to speak to our hearts. But they're very, very powerful and important to us because ultimately they point us to Christ. Even the Old Testament psalms, they point us to Christ. The most frequently quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament is the Psalms. Of all the Old Testament books, the New Testament authors are constantly picking verses and truths the theological riches from the book of Psalms to make their point about salvation in Christ. And so they're important in that they point us to Christ, but they're also important in that they show us how to live for Christ. Because the Psalms are, are a lot of times they recount people's personal experiences with their walk with God. I think we will find that. This morning, so we want to keep all that big picture in mind as we kind of just crowd ourselves and look at one psalm this morning, and that would be Psalm 116. Now, psalm 116 is kind of special, um, at least for the Jewish people, because there is a group of psalms, 113 through 118, that these particular psalms that they used, it's called the Hillel, and they use these psalms to prepare their hearts for the feasts, you know, all the feasts in the Old Testament. These are the songs that they would sing in preparation of the feast. So they're 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 associated with that. And many scholars believe, you know, in the Gospels after the Lord's Supper, where it says um, after the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn and then proceeded. So Jesus sang hymns, God tunes. Many of the scholars believe that this would be one of the psalms they sang because this was a time of feasting. So let's look at this psalm, 116. We're going to read all 19 verses this morning. And here's what he says. God's holy word. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. 
The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of show laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This psalm is fairly straightforward. I think there are three main themes going on in here. First of all, the psalmist uh, talks about what God has done for him. And that's where we're going to camp today is in what the Lord has done for me. And then next communion Sunday, we'll look at the rest of the song psalm and um, we'll look at what I will do for the Lord because of what God has done for him. He talks about, well, this is what I got to do something. And this is what I want to do for the Lord. And then in between there, he picks out. Um, some very rich theological conclusions that he's drawn based on this experience. So we'll look at the conclusions and what I will do for the Lord next time. But for right now, the psalmist, as you can tell, he is just really loving God right now. In this psalm, it's one of those times in his life as a as a man of faith where he just is very excited about what God has done for him. And he is filled with. With love intensely because of this. And he's wanting to love back. And my ESV version says, I love the Lord. But the literal rendering of that, of that Hebrew uh, sentence is, I love because the Lord has heard. And so we make the assumption that the object of his love is the Lord. But really, it is he what he is saying is, in essence, I am filled with love because of God. I'm filled with love. So he is not just loving God, but he's loving everybody. He's loving everything. He's loving life. He is so filled with love based on what God has done for him. He has to love others. Have you ever experience that in your Christian life. I mean, I know that the Christian life, it's, you know, it's a, it's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. And that, that includes highs and lows. And God manifests his glory to us in different ways, in different seasons, purposely. We know that it's all for the purpose of conforming us to the image of Christ. And he gives us just what we need to grow. But there are times when he just comes into our lives and rescues us or delivers us or answers a plea or he comes to us and intervenes in some kind of way that that just we are astounded. 
and humbled by the love that he fills us with. And the psalmist is so humbled and so filled with love that he can't he has to do more than just thank God. He wants to go out and love everybody else. It's just that kind of effect. And there are times in our Christian life and when we're confronted with God and his word, we don't always have that response of loving people or being so filled with love. A lot of times it is more of the obedience and the duty perspective where you've you've sat under God's word and you read that we are supposed to love. And so you rightly conclude, well, I'm supposed to love. God tells me to love. And so I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to make efforts to love. And that's part of it, too. But this is a time where he actually wants to love. He has to love. He can't contain what God has done in him. And it reminds me of First John 4.19. The apostle John says, we love. And there's a reason we love. Because God loved first. God first loved us. So it, it, it's the same thing. It's at work because God has so loved him. He's like, I, I got to love somebody. God has loved me to pieces and I, I want to love you to pieces and others to pieces and life to pieces. A disciple's love comes, Jesus says, the way that you'll know my, people will know you're my disciples will because be because of the love you have for one another. We can't have that love for one another in and of our own power. It has to flow from the fact that we are so humbled and filled with the love that God has for us. So what is it that calls a psalmist to be so filled with love? Well, quite simply, God answered this prayer. He, he uttered a little cry, a little plea. I say little, it was probably very faint audibly, but from the heart, it was actually a very desperate situation that he was in. And he took it to God and God answered him. And what he was experiencing was a life threatening situation. So he says. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of shoal laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. So he's in a death situation. And because so many of the Psalms often describe or because many of the times in the ages when the Psalms were written, a lot of what they experienced were battle, you know, because they were always having to fight for the land and and fight their enemies away. They were always being pestered and so forth. And so a lot of the situations they found themselves in when it came to death had to do with battle. And so I often picture people when they're crying out for salvation, the Lord, you know, maybe they're they're in a corner. They're about to be cut or slashed or maybe they've just been captured by their enemy and they know they're going to be taken prisoner and then put to death or they're about to uh, enter into some kind of terrible defeat in battle. But there's no reason not to take these verses for face value. And that is this guy, he's either physically sick, he's mentally sick, something is wrong with him, and he is very close to death. And he gets very descriptive because you can almost climb in there with him because he's so descriptive. He's good at telling his experience. It's like the, the hands of death, the hands of Sheol 
burst up and, and crept up through the dirt. And they're, they're grabbing him. And they have him and they're pulling him down. And he's, it's like it's this last few seconds. What do I do? I'm so close to being taken down into the, the land of, of death. And it's at this moment that he utters a yelp, if you will, or a cry. And he doesn't want what God did for him to be minimized. He's not saying, yeah, well, I had a hangnail and it really hurt. And I cried out to God and, and then it stopped hurting. He's saying, I was, I was about to go under. I, I was about to be wiped out. That's how close it was of a call. And I cried out to God as my hope for salvation. As people often do. It's not unusual for us or people to get in a situation where God is the only hope we have. Have you ever been in that situation where you have exhausted all of the resources that this life has to give you? For whatever reason, you are in a situation, whether it's physical illness, mental illness, financial predicaments, relational predicaments, but you're in this situation where everything has been tried, known to man, so to speak, and you're still in it. And, and you are very close to the brink of disaster, to the brink of destruction. Everything you knew is about to fall apart. We often find ourselves in these kind of situations. And he acknowledges this. And he pleads to God for mercy. And it's not one of those. It's a humble prayer. It's a desperate prayer. It's not one of those prayers. God, where are you? You owe me. What's going on here? I'm about to die. You owe me. Remember all the times I got up early in the morning and had devotion and I could have been sleeping or the times I fasted and I could have been eating or the times I cut my neighbor's grass to show them that I loved them and I could have been cut my own. You owe me, God. What is this? I shouldn't be in this predicament. It is nothing like that. It is. I am absolutely helpless. I can't help myself. Others can't help me. I, you're my last resort. I need you, God. Only you can help me. It's, it's humble. It's the, it's the beatitude prayer of a poor spirit. He's emptied himself. There's no self there now. And he's called on God. This is the kind of predicament he is in. Look what he says in verse 10. I'm greatly afflicted. And I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. But what is he talking about? That basically means not literally, although we've all told lies, I'm sure. He's talking about the fact that man is not reliable. Man can be deceptive. This is not a time where I can trust in man or turn to man based on man's history of being unfaithful. And it's possible that there may have been some in his life, his loved ones or his family, those that truly care for him, they couldn't help him at this time, but it may have been possible that they had promised help or promised aid and they didn't come through because they weren't faithful. And he's just acknowledging, you know, there are situations where man can't even help you. And one of the reasons that he can't help you is because in, in and of himself, he's not reliable to do so. There could be two things going on here. One, 
is that he finds himself in a situation where literally it's only God. Only God can help me. And I do think that God brings us to places in our lives, sends us down paths where literally um, the body of Christ is not going to minister to you. You know, that, that's been exhausted, the resources. You've had all the advice you can get, all the counsel you can get. You've had all the earthly help you can get from man. And God wants us to know that ultimately it's Christ alone. Ultimately, you only have God. Now, God uses the, uh, these other resources, but there are times I think he takes us down paths where, where we can plainly see, you know what, God? Really, it's just you I need. It's just you that gives me hope. But the other thing going on here is that he's teaching the reliability of God as he teaches the unreliability of man. And how many times we, we mean well, we do, and we, we do love the best we can and we care for each other the best we can. But if you ever been in a situation, you've had a friend, perhaps, and friendships are important, a family member, a loved one, where they've said, you know, I'm going to be there with you in this. I'm going to be with you the whole time. I'm going to walk with you through this or I'm going to help you through this. We can do this together. I'll provide this for you. And it brings you a sense of hope and camaraderie. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. We get tired. We don't always fulfill our promises. And, you know, we make them, but then life happens. And it's not like we purposely try to malign people or, or bankrupt people or abandon people. But we just, as hard as we may try... We can't always be there. And the psalmist acknowledges that. And perhaps he's he's experiencing this personally as he realizes, you know what? I can't even count on man, my best friends, my family, those that have cared for me. When it comes to this, I remember God. I cry out to God. And it's one of those situations if. You know, if he could have taken a pill to be better, he'd he'd already done it. Or if he could have had that perfect adjustment, it, it would have taken place. Or if he could have gone to that doctor, you know, you need to go to the doctors. If he could have done that, it's, it's beyond that now. It's too late. All the things that he possibly could have done to get himself out of this situation, they're they're exhausted. And so. He cries out to the God of the too late. And God hears that little plea that that I pictured as a uh, some kind of just yelp or moan or groan, whatever it is in his desperation. God hears that little plea. He is the God of the bottom of the barrel. He is the God of the too late. He is the God of I wish I would have known. He's the God of the confused, the God of the exhausted, the God of the perplexed. The God of the broken, the God of the stuck, the God of the cornered, the God of the, ex the exhausted. He is the God that hears. He is the God that cares. He is a God that is filled with love and takes delight in answering the prayers of his children and takes delight in coming and nurturing them and and nourishing them. He is the awesome God. And it's just so humbling to know that when we cry to God, he has every right to deny us help. Every right. He could bring out his list when we bring out our list of see why I deserve this. Oh, he could bring out his list. 
of why we don't deserve this. Every right to not listen to anything we had to say. It's your own mess. You got yourself into it. You deal with it. And yet he hears and he saves. And he's often the last one we go to instead of the first. And yet he does not arrogantly say and deny us help. He is still glad to be there as our helper. I've recently heard a testimony from a fine young Christian family man. Um, and uh, this this guy, um, he shared that when he was a teenager, he got addicted to pornography. And he, it was bad. It was bad. And um, and it was tearing him up because he's raised in a Christian family the whole time. He's saying, I know better. I know this is wrong. And, and he's feeling the, the darkness of it and the, and the destruction of it and how it's just pulling him away and cutting him off of relationships. And that's what it does. It, it just destroys. There's nothing good in it. It's totally destructive and it sucks all the good blessings out of your life and, and relationships. And, and he, he was just mourning over the fact of how the effect that, that pornography was having on him. And I was right there in that story thinking, man, oh, that... That had to have been terrible. There's nothing could be worse than that. To be stuck in that position. And just wanting to, to get out. But not being. And still going back. And still going back. And knowing that you're just going deeper and deeper. And I thought. There is nothing. Nothing that could be worse than that. And then he said. But that wasn't the worst thing. Hmm. Now you got my attention. He said the worst thing was believing that God didn't want me anymore. Believing that God wasn't there for me anymore. Believing that I had to clean up my life so God would love me again. And I, and I wanted to, but I couldn't, so I was stuck. I, I felt the worst thing was feeling like I was cut off from God because of my sin. He said that feeling was worse than being addicted to pornography. The love wasn't there. The warmth wasn't there. And then through all of that struggle, he realized that that was a lie. And he realized that God had always dealt with him on the basis of grace, not on the basis of works. And he realized that he didn't have to earn his salvation. He didn't have to earn his way and clean up his act to, to be back in the presence of God. And the gospel that he had always heard growing up began to sink in and he began to believe the truth. God's there for me. God loves me. I never earned my standing with him in the first place. And that began to transform him. Believing that truth of the merciful, gracious God of the undeserving. That here's the plea of those that are hopeless and helpless and nobody else could help them. And it transformed him his life. And this is a fine family man to this very day. The transforming grace and power of God because of a cry. He's the God of the bottom of the barrel. He, he doesn't deal with us based on our works. He deals with us based on the grace. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why our hearts can be filled with love. That's why we can rejoice in the God of our salvation. He is. 
He should always be our first hope. But even if he is our last hope, he is ultimately our only hope. And then the psalmist exclaims, therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Long as I live, I'm going to do this. Now, now let's not miss this important point that he's making here. There's a link that's going on here in his thinking as a believer. It's a link between the past and the present and the future. And he realizes that based on what God has done for me in the past, I can call on him today in the present and I can call him on him in the future as well. And expect the same God to love me in the same way. And to be just as good and just as caring and for his plan to be worked out. So the deliverance isn't just a one time thing. He's thinking, that, you know, even in the future of these terrible um, times come and I find myself in a fix. God will be there to call upon based on the past. Now, he answered this prayer and put it in the past. And that's why we have it, because he lived to tell about it. And based on that experience. So, in other words, God, he, he's building his faith based on God's faithfulness. Based on God's faithfulness. So how can he be so sure and so excited about future deliverances when they haven't even happened? It's because God is immutable. It's that word. And we heard a whole sermon on it at the pastor's conference from Kevin DeYoung. Preached a whole sermon on the immutability of God. God, which means he, he is unchanging. God is unchanging. Even if my circumstances in the future change, God is unchanging. God is forever the same faithful. There's nothing about him that needs to be perfected or fixed. He's he, he is the I am the ultimate perfection. And he is true and he's faithful and he's more true and more faithful and more more dependable than anything that we will ever know or experience, even anything that he has created. And how often do we depend? We don't realize it, but we absolutely depend on the dependability of what we would consider natural laws. Have you even considered or fretted at all in the last couple years that the sun's not going to rise when you wake up tomorrow morning? Has that ever crossed your mind? Unless you've been reading too much fiction or something. There are dependable laws, but even the things that we build our lives on will not last. The earth and the heavens will be destroyed. And there will come that day when the sun won't be there in the way that we know it. But God will absolutely never change. Everything that we know about him, everything that we're learning about him, the character that he reveals to us in his word, it's true, the same yesterday Today and forever. Alexander McLaren says his past is the guarantee and the revelation of his future. And every person that grasps him in the faith has the right to pray with assurance. So crying out to God, these are faith builders. Are the times you cry out to God and the fact that you stand here today or sit here today. The reason is because there are many things that are in your past that God got you through. That should build 
our faith. We all find ourselves crying out to God to one degree or other or for one reason or another. And it's a good thing to do because it gives God an opportunity, opportunity to reveal himself to you. Many times our first instinct is to take care of things ourselves. Give God the opportunity to real, real, reveal his good, good character to you for the purpose of building faith. So here he is. He is filled with faith and filled with assurance, even for the things that might happen in the future. How can that be true? Because God is unchangeable. And one thing God is, is faithful. See, his faith is based on not his faith. His faith is based on the faithfulness of God. It's not built on his ability to believe or the intensity of his belief. The reason he knows things are going to happen in the future is because of God's faithfulness. And so one of the it's not the simple, but one of the definitions of faith in Scripture, it's the conviction of things unseen. It's the 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 assurance of things to come. The, the evidence of things hoped for, whatever your translation says, the idea is that I, I can be assured of something and know it's going to happen and even start to kind of steal the joy from the future today because I'm so sure it's going to happen in the, and feel it in my gut, that evidence. How can we say that? It's based on the faithfulness of God. And we need to hear this today because there are still a lot of teachings out there that Put the, the make the foundation of faith, my ability to believe. If I can increase my ability to believe, I can make more things happen. I can't make anything happen that God doesn't want to happen. It doesn't matter how strong I believe in something. If it's not true, I can't create my own reality. Sometimes you'd never know it by some of the books that are written in Christendom. Where that says that we can create our own reality by believing things. The only reason there's assurance is because what God has said will come to pass. He has revealed his character to us. He's faithful. So our faith is built on the faithfulness of God. Sure, we play a part and we have to we want to point our eyes to God and our heart to God. But it's he's the foundation. I can believe in false things fully feel as if they're real. They can affect my body as if they're real. And it's nothing but a lie. It's, it's not real. So my faith didn't create something that wasn't there. The faith is based on the faithfulness of God. And that's one of the things that sets Christianity apart from other belief systems. It's not the man who believes, but the God who offers it. And it, it makes sense if you think about it. How do we even come to Christ anyway? The only way we can be saved is through faith. And how do we get faith? Scripture says, if you want to be saved, you close your eyes and you look deep into your heart and you say, I know you're in there somewhere. Faith, come out and, and clasp your fist together. I know you're in there. Believe, believe, believe. Right. Is that what Scripture tells us to do? Say, no, you don't have it. You're dead. You're blind. There's no life in you. But I'm the merciful, gracious God and I have faith and I'm going to put it in there and give it to you as a gift. And he gives it undeserved. And because he gives it, then our eyes are open to what? What's been there the whole time and we were too blind to see it. It didn't change anything. We, he changed us. 
opened our eyes with the gift of faith. God is faithfully unchanging and unchangingly faithful. And the psalmist feels it and he knows it and he's encouraged by it. And he's not bragging about his faith. It was his, he even minimizes his plea and his cry as done in weakness. He's not, he's bragging about his God. He's not bragging about his faith. So here's his commentary on the situation. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So what he's saying is I actually kind of surprised myself because I was so down. I thought I would only be self-absorbed, but I actually was able to have enough faith to cry out to God. And here's how one commentator puts it. He says, the psalmist, in essence, is saying, in my moment of crises, I discovered I was a believer, a real believer, not just a nominal churchgoer. And that faith I discovered enabled me to verbalize my distraught emotions, not just to myself, but to God. I told him exactly how I felt in that situation. There was only one thing I could be with God, and that is honest, brutally honest. Maybe that's why he listened. For listen, he did. And I tell you that I never realized it was possible to feel so much devotion to God until the day I realized he paid attention to me, deliberately turning his ear to my prayer. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. See, he's loving God. Just loving him for all that he has done for him. And he's, he's filled with faith. He's filled with hope. It's all focused on God. Do our cries personally and corporately to God build our faith? Are we aware of what God has done for us? Are we, are we mindful of all of these kind of situations that God has put in our past? And therefore filled with love and faith and hope because of it? Do our times of prayer at the end of our service that we have faithfully do they serve to build us up or are they just a boring time where we tune things out? How is God using the testimonies, your testimony and the testimony of others in your life? Is it building your faith? Does it point you to Christ? And what I want to do as I as I close is I want to read um, some of our prayer prayer requests Starting in 2012. And you know that we publish them because we have those that were willing to write them down and then send them out to us through the email so that we can continue to be mindful of them and pray for them. But it also serves as a record. So I just went back to 2012 and then I went back specifically to the month of August, strictly because this is the month of August, all very random, randomly. And I and I just copied them and pasted them into my sermon. And I can't read them all. And, and uh, as you will see, some of these requests have been answered. Some of them have not been answered. Some of them are still in the works. Some of them may have been answered in ways that we didn't exactly pray. But I just want to read these and I'm going to try to go through them very fast because so we don't get bogged down here. And then I'll close. But as you think about these things, because you'll be brought down memory lane, these are things we've forgotten about that we ever even prayed for. Just 
I hope that it builds your faith in Christ. So August 2012, Jerry Banton's father-in-law took a blow to the face, chest and head while cutting firewood, spent two days in ICU. We'll have strict guidelines to follow over the next month of recovery. Again, I'm just reading what was written. Um, Rick Moore's dad, 91, suffering from bladder cancer. Please pray the Holy Spirit will speak to his heart in his perfect timing. He will receive salvation. David Wood asked for prayer for Betty in her back that it would have healing before the weekday religious education program restarts 2012. Pray for John Taylor for God's will and direction. Tom Hunter has a cancerous tumor in his large intestine. He's scheduled for surgery in September, but would be happy to see God move for his healing before then. If that's not his will, then please pray that the surgeon would get all of it and Tom would require no further treatment. We prayed for strength, calmness, and peace. Ann Black will have surgery on her knee, MCV, Wednesday. Uh, Katie Warren got her wisdom teeth out this week. Now she's having babies. That's how long she must grow Robin also asked for prayer for Rita Fay, who's dying of cancer. John Razima asked for prayer for his son, Kevin, for God's will to be done in situation of that investigation. A very intense investigation. Barbara Maitland will have an MRI Tuesday and a shot in her back. Pray for relief from pain. Just random 2012 August's picks. 2013, Jesse Josie Josiah Borer on their way to Oklahoma to help with cleanup efforts after the tornado there. Pray for traveling mercies and strength, particularly for Josie. Uh, Wednesday, Dwight will have hand surgery. Pray for guidance for the surgeon. Patience for Dwight as he regroups. Pat Basin has extreme cramping in her legs through the night and into the morning. This is a year later now. Tom Hunter asked the body for prayers that have sustained him. And, oh, thank the body for prayers. I'm sorry. That sustained him and Janet these past five years. He goes Tuesday, 10 a.m. for a procedure. Prays that all will, that he will come out with a clean bill of health. Ann Black still experiencing discomfort in her knee and the wound is bleeding again. Pray for strength and encouragement for Ed. Shoko and her boys have an opportunity tomorrow morning, which would be a Monday, to speak to the vice principal of a middle school in Japan on why they homeschool. They ask for opportunity to share Christ. Jeff and Cookie, um, Liverman, Diane and Robbie leave for Germany this week. Pray for traveling mercies and wisdom and insight for the many of hours of ministry that will take place at the conference for those who minister to Muslims worldwide. Please also pray for health and strength. Nevin thanked the body for her prayers for Eileen and reported her contractions are now greatly reduced and Eileen is doing much better. wonder why. Uh, we prayed for God's perfect timing for this birth and blessings on the child. Larry Barrett looking for work may have an interview this week. May God open the door for him. Millie Rank asked for prayer for Gary and Tina, parents of Ariana, her granddaughter. John Razima will see a urologist tomorrow. Pray for a good report. 2014, Susan Hickman thanked us for our prayers and God's answer for Ava as they have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Betty Wood praised God for Dana and David and EMS, that the EMS were with her Thursday when she had a severe allergic reaction to a bee sting. Cookie was thankful for all the prayers for her and Jeff's trip to England and Thailand. They had some great meetings in England and Thailand was phenomenal. Please pray for Jeff who is struggling with a fever and sore throat. Janet Hunter asked for prayer for her brother-in-law, Frank, who will start chemo and radiation in preparation for rectal cancer surgery. Floyd gave a statement for he himself, for himself and Millie that NCF is where they belong. He affirmed that they belong to Christ and expressed thankfulness for God that he has given them so much. And he challenged us to be ready for Jesus, for he is coming soon. And then we sang Jesus. Slept. No, you didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> 
Peggy Turner, Turner prays the Lord that she could be with us today. Pray, please pray for her physical and emotional battles, which she has been fighting. Brianne asks for prayer as she goes for a back injection Thursday. Janet Lurzer asks for the energy to keep up with her two beautiful grandchildren, in addition to Gracie, who are visiting this week, as well as some of Helmut's family. They also need wisdom for their car issues. Pray for his grace and presence. Tom Hunter will have a procedure on Thursday, after which he will require pain medication. August is a tough month for Tom. Is Tom even here this morning? August is a a tough month for Tom. 2015, getting there. John Wine asked for prayers for sister Elizabeth. Recent test revealed cancer has made a comeback and she will be undergoing more chemo. Please keep her in your prayers for healing, for peace, comfort, and encouragement from the Lord. Pray for Robbie and Ty, who will both leave for the respective graduate programs this year. Please pray for safe travels and fruitful studies for the glory of God. Pray for Jesse Page, Gavin, Cody, Michaela Banton, who will all be leaving in the next few weeks as they pursue God's call for their lives. We're thankful for Sutton and Kayla Wirt and their call to Rwanda. Pray God will provide support needed for them to go. Uh, Francis Gilmore asks that we pray that Tessa would be a strong witness for Christ at ODU. Pray for Eileen, who will be traveling with her children to Pennsylvania to visit. 2016, a raw high Roberts has a mask behind his eye that has been diagnosed as melanoma, giving praise that the doctors believe they have caught it early enough to treat it successfully. Continue to pray for Andy and Lisa Hudson. Uh, Mary Lou expressed praise that they had passed another milestone in preparing their home for occupation and gave thanks for sustaining presence. Uh, Pray for the ministry ongoing at Wisconsin Girls Retreat that's taken place there. Um, Quincy asks for prayer as he travels to Arizona. We'll be gone for one month. Pray for God's protection, strength for Jesse and Quincy while he's away. Gracie begins kindergarten on August 10th. Please pray for God to prepare the way before her and to protect, to guide her and grow her in his love. Cookie asks to pray. uh, Please pray for the country and people of Turkey. The land is experiencing great turmoil in these days following the coup attempt. Many thousands of people being jailed and mistreated, media outlets being banned and other disturbing occurrences. Pray for Helen Anderson, whose weight is dangerously low. Pray for Francis's mother, Julia, who is in her last days. Pray for peace. For um, Gloria, Marie's stepmother, who's having have blood transfusions every day in order to give her the strength uh, enough to tolerate this bone marrow treatment. Um, Pray for a local family, the Castles, who have lost their possessions and home that they had rented. And then lastly, 2017, Kevin Warren gives praise that Sarah and Luke's wedding went beautifully. John Wine gives praise for 38 wonderful years with Yannicka. Do you remember that typo? John Wine gives praise for 38 wonderful years. Yeah, brings back memories. God has a sense of humor. D praises for uh, praises successful surgery that has brought her much relief. Keep her in your prayers. Ken's mom, Nancy, had hip replacement surgery, was is recovering at the Woodland. Lisa Gay prays that Josiah returned from Charlottesville safety safely after the riot. She also asked to pray for those who lost their lives. Sarah Gilmore gave praise for her wonderful husband. Praise uh, Pat Ray reminds us to pray for Lisa Hudson, who had complications following breast cancer surgery. Uh, Marie Roberts asked for prayer for a father who's having continued complications with his foot. Um, also pray for Mary Lou's post-surgical rehab. Granville as he rehabs from double knee replacement. Jack Allen as he recovers from hip replacement. The girls retreat in Swaziland. 
Rick Dunn asked us to pray for Vince Taylor, who's struggling with gallbladder pain, doesn't have that gallbladder anymore. Paul Montagna asked us to keep Lisa in our prayers, who is home with a sore throat. Kevin Warren encouraged us as last. Kevin Warren encouraged us to pray for and remember our members who haven't been able to attend for various health reasons. Kirk and Mary Lou, Gene and Iris, the Allens and the Maitlands. It's a trip down memory lane. As I said, some of these things, these requests have been specifically answered. God has been faithful. They are in the past. Some he is still working on. He's answering and others he's, he answered in ways that we did not pray. But do you see God's faithfulness? Is it is it building your faith? Are you seeing how dependable God is and that you can cry out to him? Hopefully first, but even last Cry out to him. He is your loving Lord, your loving Savior. And I pray that we can say with the psalmist, I love the Lord. He hears my voice and my pleas for mercy. May God bless the preaching of his word. And now we get to praise him and fellowship with him in the Lord's Supper.